This is Jimmy Corain, and you are listening to another episode of Improv Nerd, and we are sponsored. We have two great sponsors today, and our first one is the Houston Improv Festival, and submissions are now open for the Houston Improv Festival through January 31st. This year, the festival is at the brand new state-of-the-art Midtown Arts and Theater Complex in beautiful Houston. In addition to great shows, workshops, and after parties, there will also be a pub crawl and other fun events at uniquely Houston destinations. I went to the festival last year and I had a blast. The festival this year is April 28th through May 1st and submissions are only $25. To submit, all you need to do is go to HoustonImprovFestival.com slash submissions. That's HoustonImprovFestival.com slash submissions. We're also sponsored by Mick Napier's great new book, Behind the Scenes, Improvising Long Form. Now, if you don't know Mick Napier, he is the founder of the Annoyance Theater, and he's just released a brand new book called Behind the Scenes, Improvising Long Form. Now, this book talks about the complexities of long form and gives you practical, doable tips on how to make it more accessible to non-improv audiences. Also, his first book, Improvise, Seen from the Inside Out, was recently re-released with two new chapters. Both books are on sale at the Annoyance Theater in Chicago or online at Amazon.com. And don't forget to sign up for my award-winning Art of Slow Comedy Improv classes here in Chicago. I have a Fundamentals of Improv Level 1 Art of Slow Comedy starting February 17th. All you have to do is go to my website, jimmycorain.com, to sign up. Also, registration is open for my Art of Slow Comedy intensives. They'll be offered July 23rd through the 24th or August 6th through the 7th. Again, to register, just go to my website, jimmycorain.com. Guess what I got for you today? No, 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 really, really, take a guess. No, you guessed it. Yes, you guessed it. Yes, another great episode of Improv Nerd. And this one, we went all the way down to the uh, Institution Theater in Austin, Texas. Our good friend Tom Booker invited us down. And our guest today, and a God willing, I hope I get this name right because I've been working on it all morning and I will feel so much shame a soft Ronin is our guest, and he is the educational director at the Institution Theater. He is also the creator and editor-in-chief of YesAnd.com, which back in the 90s was the website to go to for improvisers all over the world. He is the author mm-hmm. of the book, Directing Improv, Show the Way by Getting Out of the Way. He's been involved with improv going all the way back to 1990. That's a long time. And is improvising and taught all over the world. We talked to him about what it was like growing up as a latchkey kid, why he decided after years in New York City, why he decided to move to Austin, Texas, and when he got there, how he got out of a depression by teaching improv, thanks to Tom Booker. Before we get to the episode with Asaf, and I hope to God I got his name right, because if I don't, I'm going to feel a ton of shame, like I'm not a professional podcaster, and you're not going to take me seriously, because when we get to the interview and the improv part of this episode, I get his name wrong, and he was kind enough not to correct me during the the interview, uh, but I feel bad about it, and um, I know... 
I, I always feel bad when I get people's names wrong. And, and, and I, you know, I hate to admit this, but, you know, a lot of times in class it will take me two or three terms to get people's names down. And this is what I do, and this is, this is awful, you know. What I do is I don't say, hey, you know, I forgot your name or what's the pronunciation of your name or whatever it is. I just deny it. I just, I just don't use their names. And that's what I did this weekend. And uh, we went out to lunch, and he showed up before one of the workshops I taught. And, and you know, Tom Booker was around. And any time I would go to use his name, he goes, oh, you, you, you were about to say his name, but you're afraid you're going to get it wrong. He called me on my shit, which was very helpful. You know, you feel a little shame and embarrassment about it, but it was very helpful. Because the whole weekend, Tom kept telling me it's very easy. It's like a soft like a sophomore with no more on it. He must have told me this 10 times. But it didn't sink in until I was, I was ready to go home. The weekend was over, and he was driving me back to the Austin airport. So I just want to, in advance, if I get it wrong, a soft, I want to apologize if, if, if I get it wrong. And I certainly want to apologize in this episode for getting it wrong. Enough about me. Here it is. God willing, I'm going to get this right. The Asaf Ronan episode. Enjoy. Jimmy's a nerd, he's a nerd. Oh, yeah. Jimmy's a nerd, he's a nerd. I've just got to set this up. I feel totally self conscious and like I'm not much of a professional, uh, but I, we did lose an episode and it was. We don't it, want that to happen. I again. don't want to have that to happen. Not with. with it, it's just. I'm crazy about the sound, but now we've, we're going. Uh, All right. So thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. No, thank you. This How is do you dream feel? Come true. Now, 15 minutes. Uh, I almost dropped the computer there. 15 minutes before, they had a video montage. Tom, I was not expecting a video montage. How do you feel about that? It was a little self-conscious. It was almost like a telethon for you. Yes. You know? Yes. You feel a little self-conscious. A little self-conscious. Is it the attention? Um. <laughs> no, it's definitely not the attention. Are you, I, I hate recordings of myself. Okay, so this will be part of that. So you don't like you don't you don't, you don't like watching yourself. No, I don't like watching or listening, or listening to yourself on oh, podcasts. Hate, it. hate okay. it. Okay, that's why I do improv. When you watch yourself or hear yourself, what what is the judgments that go in your head about your performances? Is it a looks thing? Is it a performance thing? Is yeah, it a talent like, thing? Was my face always sloped that way and no one's told me? What's going on with my voice right there? Yeah, just, yeah. All right, so you grew up in New York. Yes. Uh, you were a great writer. You won awards for... Great writer. Well, you won, you won awards for poetry. I won awards in high school, so right. yeah. Okay. Great for high school. Great for high school. Yes. What award did you win in high school? Uh, there was a bunch of regional... Uh, Citywide poetry awards that I, I won. I won a little bit of money. Uh, Earl Hyman, who played the grandfather on the Cosby Show, read mm-hmm. my poem aloud at one of them. Mm-hmm. That was kind of nice. Um, and oh, then, yeah, thank you. And then, <laughs> it was exciting for me. I was like, oh, somebody I watch on TV is now reading my poem. That's great. Well, that had to be a big deal. Be- also, oh, yeah. because poetry was kind of like, I mean, there's improv and then there's, I mean, poetry yes. is, you know. <laughs> So was that kind of like, did you feel like legitimized? I never thought about it. I, I never thought like... You had no judgments about, okay, I'm writing poetry, I just enjoy doing this it. This was stuff that I would do, I would be alone at home for long periods of time, and I would create stuff. 
And just the fact that anybody would want to see any of my stuff, great. But I never thought about whether it made sense to do it or not. Um, and then you go to Queens College and you Queens made College. Yeah. You, and you major in literature, yeah. but you end up hating it. What did you what did, what did you hate about being a literature major? The work. <laughs> the reading. Um, specifically reading things that I didn't care to read. I don't want to read any Dickens. I don't care about Dickens. Who's paid by the page? It shows. I don't want to read it. You do not like, you don't like Charles Dickens. You don't like Charles Dickens. I do not like Charles Dickens. And, and then... There, I'll wait for the movie. But, but there was something you told me that you also... You hated it so much that when they would give you essay tests, those oh, blue yeah. books, you want to tell us? Yeah, we got the blue book test. Which was like essays. You were supposed to write it. Yeah, essay. you would get some essay questions and you would write out long form answers. And I would go, even though I was totally unprepared. I hadn't done the reading. I was behind in the homework, all that stuff. So I would write apologies to my teachers for wasting their time. And what kind of stuff would you say? Uh, I don't know how this got away from me. Um, I don't know what I was expecting. Um, hope you like everybody else's essays. Stuff like that. And did they ever, did they ever, what did they say? No, I never you heard from any of them. You're either. kidding me. <laughs> but you do get a really creative, fun little essays yeah. that I wrote about Anything but what the essay was supposed to be about. And then you see you got exposed to improv in the halls of college. Yeah. Yeah, so friends of mine were all fans of Whose Line. So uh, they were in the humanities uh, program there. And we decided to play some games in the student union hallway. I remember the first game we did was directed movie. And with the people doing different movie genres mm -hmm. and doing a directed story, basically. And you would just do it in the halls? Yeah, we would just do it in the halls. You had an audience or no audience? No audience. Okay. No audience for... It was probably a, after six months of doing that, we thought, oh, we should... Let's try doing this in front of an audience. And uh, we broke into the theater <laughs> on campus with a group of friends and did a little short-form show for them. Were you kind of a rebel back then? No. Okay. Were you scared to break into a theater? No. Okay. <laughs> but, I, but I wasn't a rebel. It was okay. just, no one was going to, okay. no one gave a shit. So, it was Queens College. <laughs> and what was, it, uh, what was it about improv that you loved at that point? Um, I loved writing on my feet. I loved, because I was very, I, I wrote a lot. I was very prolific. Uh, I wrote a lot of poems and stories, and it was just constantly pouring out. And so taking, out, taking the pen and paper out of the equation was great. And just letting it all just come out was wonderful. I loved that. And then you decide to quit school. You try to yes, after about five years, I quit with no degree. Okay. How did you, first of all, why did you decide to quit? Because I was writing apologies mm -hmm. in all my essay books. Okay. And then how did you... Like at that point, like all of them. It was like... No matter what class, you would, knew, you would always get an apology. Uh, yeah. I'm sure there was my art classes I did fine. I was an art minor. Mm -hmm. So I did great in the art classes because there I was being creative. And then what did your parents... Because I would imagine they were immigrants, right? Uh, yeah. They both... Uh, my father was born in Tunisia and my mother was born in Turkey and they moved to... Israel, and that's where they met, and that's where I was born. And then, so how did they feel? Oh, they were pissed. And what did they, what did they say It's to like, you? Well, 
their main thing was, you're, you were so close. But it's like, no, I really wasn't. <laughs> After five years, I don't know how close I actually got. You don't know how many credits you were short or no. anything like that? <laughs> <laughs> no. I'm not, I'm not looking back. Right. I'm not okay. Okay. No. no, no, no. Okay. So do you remember what they said to you? That was the main thing. You're so close. You know, you put all this time and money into this, and you were so close. Why don't you just? Why don't you just finish? I think that was the main thing. Why mm-hmm. don't you just finish? And that was it. And then you go to Manhattan, right? Yeah, start working. Yeah, start working and doing improv stuff, right? Not right away. No, it was a couple of years before I made any money doing improv. No, it was more than a couple of years. Well, it was '94. I left college, and it wasn't until about '98 that I joined a theater group where I actually got paid to do it. And that was the freestyle rep in New York? Yeah, that was freestyle rep. And what kind of stuff were you doing back then? Mostly theater sports. Uh, they did a lot of school gigs, going into schools. Now, when you say theater sports, sports not everyone in the, the, the listeners in the audience know Improv, tournaments, two teams. Short uh, form games, competition, kind of like form comedy games, sport. Issuing challenges mm-hmm. uh, to each other and then doing a game that fits that challenge. Yeah, mm-hmm. And... and and when did you start getting introduced to long form? I was doing long form with my college troupe because we all read Truth and Comedy. And so we did what we thought was a Herald. Because at that time... What did the Herald look like when you were doing it out of the book? A lot like a montage. We okay. called it, It's funny. We did what we called the New York Herald, which was basically a montage. <laughs> It was like, well, we'll just edit wherever the fuck we want. That's what New York Herald was. Um, Because there was nobody at that time doing Heralds. This was like six, seven years before UCB came down. Mm -hmm. There was one improv theater, Chicago City Limits, and then there were other groups that would do little runs here and there at at various theaters. Right, and Chicago City Limits was primarily short form, right? Short form and sketch, Mm -hmm. yeah. So and then, in 1999, the UCP comes from Chicago, and there's yes. a, to New York, and there's a huge buzz about that. Mm-hmm. Um, why didn't I mean you're there? Why didn't you decide to study with them? I think similarly to why I didn't succeed in college. I hate getting through the stuff that I already know about to get to the stuff that I really want, and I think at that point I was too arrogant to go back to a level one, and so I just didn't. Because here I was, I was doing, I was working with a group and getting paid to perform and do improv. When and you say paid, ten, what were you getting? I don't remember. What okay. The, 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 my rent was really low at that time. So I, was, so you I had a ridiculously cheap apartment in New How York. How cheap? We were, when we first, when, <laughs> when my roommate and I first moved in, we were paying about $400 a month. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You can't get a parking spot for $400. <laughs> Um, so at that point, were you able to survive on improvising, or did you have a day job as well? No, I was I was improvising every once in a while. I would probably temp, just mm-hmm. a little supplemental income. But you didn't but have to kill yourself. No, not at all. Um, yeah, which the job that I left a job to do freestyle rep, and that was killing me. And that was like I would stay until four in the morning sometimes, mm-hmm. working on various soulless projects. So, getting back to the UCB. Yes. Okay. Do you regret not studying with them? Be- I don't regret it because I really love... Here's the thing for me and regret. I really love where I'm at right now. And if the things that 
if I regretted any of the things, that, I mean, those things led me to this point that I'm really happy about. Mm -hmm. So I can't regret any of them. I wonder what it would be like because when I when I was doing improv with in my own thing, uh, the people at UCB were like uh, Rob Hubel and uh, Paul Shear and all these people that are amazing and kind of doing all the you know kind of at the forefront of all the comedy stuff that's happening. They're just everywhere now. Uh, they're constantly sitcoms that I see. Like oh, I recognize a bunch of the writers' names from UCB from, uh, that I used to hang out with and stuff. You know, as I was researching you and stuff like that, there's, what is your relationship to being famous? Like, a lot of people... <laughs> well, I struggle with, oh, I wish I was more famous. Of course, mm -hmm. you know, Tom Booker, you know... <laughs> we, 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 yeah, I know. Yes, you do. So... What, what is what is your what what is your relationship? I don't give a shit about being famous. You never did. No, for what? To be recognized, to get a good table, to to get a good table, to make a lot of money, <laughs> to get a good table at Magnolia Diner where I'm going. They You're already know me my yes. name there. They all, right. all know well, me by okay. name at Magnolia. So, okay, that's Austin. I'm fine at Magnolia. You're in Austin. You're fine in Austin, but you know. If you go back to New York, you can get a good table. You can be treated well. You yeah. feel like a success. The only thing when I look at folks like Rob Hubel and Paul Shearer and all these guys is the stuff that they're getting to do is on a much larger scale. And to a certain degree, I'd love to be doing that. But I don't want to do the work that goes with that. I, I, would, I would hate trying to make a living as an actor in Hollywood. I would hate it. Well, I mean... When you say like they're doing stuff on bigger uh, on a bigger scale, what would you like to be doing on a bigger scale? Uh, I would love to create a TV show. I would love to do that. Be a showrunner, write and produce and create a show. I would love to do that. Just because I've got all these ideas, and some of them would only exist in that format, would only work in that format. But the work to get there, I don't know. And you're, you you uh... you see how I am with work. No, I don't know how you are. I don't know how you are with work. In the blue book of life, I'm constantly writing apologies. Okay. <laughs> but it's but you know what? Here's the thing. Can I call you on this? Call me because, on it. Because you don't I, think I... I you, no, I think you're an artist. Right. Okay? And I think if you like something, like you just said, I, when you started at uh, the Freestyle Rap, you were there till four in the morning. I believe when you are passionate about something, you're, you're passionate about something, you will work... You'll work 60, 70 hours a week. It's, it, it, yeah, but I'm getting to do all the things I enjoy doing right now. Right. Yeah. So I don't think you're, I don't think you're, I don't, I don't think you're lazy. Oh, yeah. No. You I'm know. not, well, I'm not lazy about the creative side of things and the stuff that has to go with it, but there's so much shit that doesn't have to go with it that does go with it in Hollywood or whatever other path. Like you, you, I mean, you're, I don't want to get an agent. I don't want to get new headshots every six months. I don't want to live in LA. I hate LA. I do not want to live in LA. It is not for me. Okay. We've covered that. Yeah. See, and Tom's loving this because now Why I'm getting, oh, yeah, because this? this is the Asafron and rant. Okay. But you know what? I like to see, uh, because know. I've known you for a while, and it's, yeah. you're very even-keeled and whatever. Yeah. It's nice to see, like, some animation and some energy. Because <laughs> you got this sense. Awesome. It's kind of like... That's hilarious. Kinda, I get this all my life. Are you serious? 
Yeah, you know how many times people call me on the phone and they assume that they've just woken me up? <laughs> Constantly. It's like, no, I've been up for hours. It's three in the afternoon. You did not wake me up. I just sound like this on the phone. But you always very lean, even keel. You come into a room. You don't want. You, you're very quiet, and you know. Yeah. Have you? you... All right. It's just an observation. Yeah, I wasn't sure if there was more to it. No. Did you want to go elaborate on it, or on me being quiet? Yeah. Because you know, as a kid, you said that you would always. You know, you had a sister. You were a latchkey kid. You would come home. You'd write your own comic book. You do. Do you think that was the beginning of being quiet and and not being seen? Yeah. I mean, I didn't have much of a. So here's the two things that come to mind. One is I didn't have much of a social life. So. My, my Why social, was that? I was awkward. In what I, way? My mother cut my hair. Um, <laughs> and I had hand-me-down clothes. And do kids make fun of you? Oh, constantly. What What do they say? Well, when you have a name that's foreign, mm-hmm. and especially when the first syllable sounds like ass. Mm-hmm. That pretty much lays out the theme for your childhood. Okay. That's like, they love that my ass off. Okay. They love that. And so then it just made me an easy mark. And then everything else, they would find things. And and where you grew up, was there other, because you came from, you know, your parents must have spoke a foreign language, right? Yeah, they spoke Hebrew, but I didn't speak Hebrew in the the house. And was there, you know, for some uh, people that have been raised by, like, first generation, there's some shame because they don't speak English and stuff like that. Was there any shame that you had felt? No. In fact, I'll tell the story my mom loves to tell. Uh, She would try to speak Hebrew with me in the house, and my response, and I was probably like four or five, I don't know, would be, I'm sorry, I don't speak Spanish. <laughs> I think it was. I, I think it was my first improv. <laughs> All right, in two thousand and one, uh, yeah. you're, you're still in New York City. Yeah. Uh, tell me about uh, the scene back in ninety nine to two thousand and one in terms of New York, because you were there at that time before Magnet, before uh, before you uh, before yeah. Hit, before UCB. Right, so yeah, UCB was a big deal, and there was a lot of buzz around them. Everybody, like there were people I remember who were in freestyle rap who were constantly talking about, oh, I've been taking UCB classes, and what if we tried this? And so there became this dissemination of these new ideas, uh, which was wonderful, and they were renting out uh, Solo Arts Theater, if I remember correctly, in uh, Midtown, and doing their ASCAT show. And we have people like Janine Garofalo and all that stuff. And you just couldn't get in. It just got so big so quick. Um, because the TV show also helped a lot with that. So you saw, like, no, no, not much of an improv community to, to it exploding. Yeah. I mean, I, I was aware of all the little, uh, little companies that were going on. Um, there was a, this jam that would happen uptown that always happened. And there was someone that was teaching classes out of uh, out of Brooklyn that I knew about, and so I started like perking my ears up. I was like, "What else is going on uh, around the city?" And then UCB just became this tremendous like it just became this little mecca in the middle where just all the improvisers were like, "What?" And did you feel it at any time like you were overshadowed? Like I've been here. No, because I was doing stuff. 
So I never... Like, is that the secret? To be doing stuff so you don't feel overshadowed? If I keep busy, I don't care. I mean, I even did a show over at UCB. A friend of mine produced a show that I got to perform with Paul Shear and a bunch of other people. And so, yeah, I've done shows there. It was wonderful. And then, uh, so 2002, mm -hmm. Cirque du Soleil asks you... Actually, 2000. Okay, 2000. Cirque du Soleil. So they come and ask you if you can find some uh, improvisers. improvisers that can be physical and not say many words. Right? Yeah, because I produced a New York Improv Festival, and one of their people came and saw, and they approached me afterwards and said, hey, we're looking for physical improv savvy actors. Can and what happened on your search? I had trouble finding them. And why do you think that is? Because there was a lot of focus on the improv being clever. And so there was a lot of talking heads. Two people planted talking at each other. And I found a handful, but it was sparse. And this gives you an inspiration. Yeah, to create physical improv. And what did you create out of that? Uh, I created a group called Imp. And I didn't even know what, like, I hadn't studied clowning or anything like that. But I, my brain likes to take things apart and put them back together. And so I was a fan of, like, Charlie Chaplin and Commedia stuff. And, you know, I'd seen bits and pieces in Bill Irwin. And so I was like, well, what makes that work? And how can I apply that to improv? And I started to do that with a group of, at first, like, seven to nine people. And then it eventually just became a duo of me and my friend Karen White. So people think improv is talking and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, what is the value of doing a, a silent improv? And you guys would go like 40 minutes, right? Yeah, we'd go 40, 50 minutes. Maybe we would say five words in the course of it just because we were exploring other ways to communicate physicality, emotion, all that stuff. And it was just a different tool. It was a different way to tell stories and changed what, what a story could be. Which was great. Um, and then in 2006, you split up with your wife. Yes. And uh, you decide to move to Austin. Yes. Why Austin? We know why L.A. We want to know why Austin. Well, so the first question is why leave New York? Yes. And then the second question is why Austin? So um, I was sick. So the separation kind of brought to light a lot of things that needed to change in my life. A lot of things that I was not happy about. And one of the things was being in New York where at that point I wasn't doing the things that I really loved, the teaching, the performing. I wasn't doing that much of it in New York. I was doing it all on the road. So I was traveling basically to get away from my life, including New York, um, and spending shitloads of money at that point to live there, to do, for the privilege to do that. And um, I was like... I need to go somewhere where I can be a big fish in a little pond. And at that point, Austin was, was growing, but still far smaller pond than, than New York was. We had Pitt, we had Magnet, we had uh, ECB, of course. Um, so it was like, I want to go somewhere where I think there, there would be value for all the stuff that I've been doing. Because I couldn't, I couldn't teach at any of the theaters because I hadn't gone through any of their class programs. Did you ever apply to try to get in? Yeah. Okay, and they said to, to, uh, to UCB or Pitt or to Mac? teach classes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And how'd you deal with with that when they're like, "Sorry, you've got to go through the." Is that what they told you? Because um, you're arrogant back then, right? <laughs> back then. <laughs> Clearly just back then. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, and there was a certain amount of because at that point I'd, especially when I'd approached UCB, I'd, I'd had the book and I'd been touring nationally, uh, teaching, directing classes, and the book was selling really well and and all this stuff. So the it's book like on I directing, had, directing improv. Yeah, yeah. Um, and no, it didn't. It didn't matter. Uh, but you know, I understand, especially. Running a theater now, you know, you've got enough people under your umbrella already that you're trying to take care of. You can't just start pulling people in from outside. Now, you said you were joking. It's like, I, I'm still arrogant is basically what you said. Do you believe that? I'm, yeah, I'm arrogant. What are you arrogant about? I'm, I'm really good, I think, at what I do. Okay. I'm really, is that I feel arrogant really or is that good. confident? Um, it gets in the way of shit, which comes across... Arrogantly, like I have a hard time taking classes. I would love to take your class mm -hmm. tomorrow, okay. for example. There's a couple I'll, spots left. I know. <laughs> I don't know that I could sit still and just be a student. Okay, I I, I can totally relate to it. But yeah. when I've done taking classes, and and, it, and you've been doing this a lot longer. Yes. Than me. Yeah. Yeah. So but it is hard. I think it's hard for improv to take improv classes. Now I've taken acting classes and, mm. and other stuff. That's been easy. But I, I certainly can relate to that. Yeah, so that's... But I think it's very important, for, I know, for me to take classes. So right. I'm sorry to... No, where was I? I don't know. Arrogant. <laughs> I was being arrogant. I, I didn't experience that as being arrogant. Yeah, so... But the fact that, I mean, there's always stuff to learn. But I have trouble shutting off my brain enough to let that happen, so it feels like a little bit. So like if you animals. came, if you went to the, to one of my workshops, you would feel like you you couldn't be a student. You'd have to uh, be a teacher. Yeah, there would be things that would just be hard for me to not say, and then okay. it would be a struggle to not say things. Okay. Um. So okay. So, um, where were we? I'm lost myself. This is so much fun. Um, so, yeah. So, so, we remote, so I moved to Austin. Mm -hmm. And it was one of three cities. So I toured a lot mm -hmm. at that point. I was doing a lot of festivals every year. Um, and so there were three cities that I visited that I really liked. Boston, Seattle, and Austin. Seattle was too far from home. Because I knew I would still want to visit my family. I would have to for Passover. Mm -hmm. There's no way to not. <laughs> uh, Boston, too cold. Uh, I was kind of getting sick of winters too. Austin, right in the middle, low cost of living. Great, let's go there. And I had just been there that summer for the Out of Bounds Festival, and it was by far it was by far the best festival experience I'd had at that point in my life. Yeah. What made it? Park what made it such a good experience? The community was amazing. So here's me and my friend Karen Her, not Karen White, who I did imp with. We were trying to unify all the theaters because there was this strange... Here in Austin? No, in, in New York. Oh, okay. We were trying to unify the theaters because there was this really strange misconception that they were all fighting for the same audience. And it's like, no, we're all fighting against movies and TV and staying home and stuff like that. So why don't we all kind of do something that helps raise all the boats? And we're trying to make that unification happened and it was not everybody was so caught up in just pushing forward and I think trying to make it happen in New York it's just hard to slow it down and think about things like that Austin was already doing that they were already in that mindset of collaboration with everyone who wants to collaborate 
Now, when you said you came to Austin, yeah. you were arrogant. We've covered that ground. Yeah. Guarded, beaten down, and broken. Uh, yes. <laughs> I, I said all of those words, yes. Okay. How did you change? How did I change? Um, I mean, it was such... It was like being taken out, like when you when you step out of the sauna and you jump into like a cold pool. That shock to the system. Living in Texas after living in New York is a shock to the system, especially when you're a lifelong New Yorker, you know. And just I would walk around Austin and go, "I'm in fucking Texas. This is weird." <laughs> it was weird. You must have had a culture shock, right? Oh yeah, it's like. These people are smiling at me. What do they want? <laughs> I was like, why is every conversation with my barista take five times longer than back in New York? Like, everything leads to a conversation. And I just wasn't used to the niceness, the access uh, to people, to creative folks. I get, I get to work with all sorts of creative folks of different kinds here that in New York it would be a struggle to make that happen. And then you're here for six months and you're getting opportunities that you didn't get in New York. Mm -hmm. And then a guy comes from Los Angeles and his name is Tom Booker. Yes. <laughs> Tom, steal your thunder Booker. <laughs> How... I'd never heard of Tom Booker. Okay. <laughs> I would say that. Okay. And so here's part of the arrogance. Here's okay. part of the arrogance. I'd never heard of Tom Booker. Right. But he had someone who was one, right? Justin York was one of your students, right? Yeah, and so he was the one who was like, hey, guys, you won't believe it. Tom Booker's now moving here. And it was only six months ago. And people were like, hey, guys, you won't believe it. Asaf Ronan is moving here. And then that was, yeah. And then, <laughs> so obviously you had some feelings about it. Do you want to tell us your honest feeling? <laughs> my, my honest feeling was, who the fuck is Tom Booker? That was uh, my honest feeling, Tom. <laughs> Did you feel threatened by him? Competitive? No, I just wanted to. I, it's like, I just left everything, and I was kind of enjoying this little bit of spotlight, and now it's like, moved three inches to the right. And I was like, I was just enjoying the spotlight for a little I would have liked a little bit more. I, I, my ego needed to be coddled at that time. Because of the breakup with your wife? Breakup, you know, failing at living in New York, failing at being a professional artist in New York, failing at a marriage, and all the stuff around that, I kind of wanted to relocate and start succeeding, you know, start winning, uh, which I, I feel I have done, but it, like there was that little bit of, what the fuck just happened? But you really came here feeling like you had failed in New York? Um, what I really feel like is this. I, I felt like it was almost like stepping away from an abusive relationship. Abusive is probably too harsh a word. I had a friend, Kate, uh, who was acting for 14 years. And then after 14 years, she decided to stop acting. And I thought, wow, that's... That's incredible. You devoted 14 years and now you're suddenly going to stop? And she goes, well, yeah, it was like a 14-year relationship with someone who never told me they loved me. And I feel like 
I had a 34-year-old relationship with New York, and it never told me it loved me. If that's, that's when I moved away, it was like, well, I gotta walk away from this. And I gotta walk away from, a t I had a six-year temp job. I was a temp in the same job for six years. You know? So it's like, this isn't what success looks like. So Tom comes to, to mm -hmm. Austin. Yeah. And you guys end up being roommates. We do. <laughs> what was he like as a roommate? Because <laughs> here's the two nemesis. The two nemesis are coming Yeah, together. but by that time, I think it had smoothed over. Uh, Tom likes to say at that point we didn't like each other. I don't think we didn't like each other. We just didn't know enough about each other to like. You know, it's like we didn't know each other. We were just two odd strangers. Right. Um, and we were an odd couple. That was an odd, strange few years of us being roommates in that shitty duplex. Awesome. Horrible duplex. It was like the odd couple where neither of us were Felix. <laughs> And then you're also depre depressed at this time. Yeah, uh, I was doing a, a lot of work on, I was still doing festivals and I was traveling like two months, uh, two weeks out of every month. And it was drying up. People could just, you know, people were re reducing their budgets and all that stuff. And so I was occasionally doing temp work, but I didn't have any vehicle. I, I still don't have a driver's license living in New York. I have a motorcycle license now. Here in Austin. Yeah. But that time I had no license, so I would get around by bus. So my prospects were limited even as far as the temp work that I could do because sometimes it was too far for me to get to. And it's like I can't travel two hours via bus back and forth. So you're, si you're sitting on the couch in the strange duplex. Yes. And, and Tom tells you, hey, let's. Yes. I'm teaching a class. Why don't you come along with me? Yes. And as, as is my pattern, I was not able to keep silent in his class. And then... Luckily, he was okay with that. Right. And then, what, so what changes after that? I keep coming with him to the class. And then, I don't even remember. It's like all such a blur at that time of how we went from one class to now we have 14. Um, at that time, you know, we didn't have a theater space. We were teaching classes out of the Velveeta Room um, over on 6th Street. In downtown Austin. Yeah. At one point, we decided, well, let's create two levels. You teach one, I teach the other. I was like, oh, okay, I don't even know what the levels look like at this point. And, uh, you know, so I had this autonomy. I had this chance to kind of do my own thing without the full responsibility of making it happen. And that was the great thing. Tom was willing to kind of push to make this stuff happen and let me just go along for and the what ride. about the depression? What happened to the depression? I was doing stuff, so I didn't have time to get depressed. Is that your medicine? Is that the thing? Doing stuff? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's better than, yeah. It's, it's better than? It's better than sitting on the couch and watching marathons of celebrity rehab on VH1. <laughs> Which is what I was doing when, I, when he said, why don't you come with me? That's what I was doing. I was watching another marathon. Another marathon. What was it I had about, already watched it. What was it about celebrity <laughs> rehab that you liked so much? It was other people failing worse than me. <laughs> so, 
I totally relate. It made you feel good about yourself. Yeah. Let's, uh, yeah, let's watch someone else's train wreck. And my life wasn't that bad. I was surviving. I was paying my bills. I was performing every once in a while. I was coaching every once in a while. It wasn't that bad, but it was like, there's got to be something more than this. And right. it took a little while before we figured out what it was. Um, and now we're going to improvise. Now we're going to improvise. We're going to improvise. Awesome. Okay, great. What, how are you feeling about it? Uh, feeling great. Okay, yeah. great. So we're going to take a suggestion. Yes. Uh, uh, what, what kind of suggestions do you usually like to take? There's this strange thing I like to do called auto-populate suggestions. Which is? So um, I, I know most of the people here, so I'm yeah, going to call yeah. people by name. Uh, Ryan, give me a letter. R. So now everybody's thinking of a word that starts with R, including yes, you. Don't sure. say it. Okay. And so, uh, Kim, give me the second letter of your word. Uh, e. E. So now everyone's thinking of an R E word. Uh, Jen Ham, what's the third letter of your word? Uh, P. P. So R E P. What's the first word that comes to mind? Uh, red. The color red. R E P. That, that's what comes to mind. Red. Okay. So we're going red. <laughs> How arrogant of me to correct. No, that's okay, Charles. It's okay. You can correct me. No, I mean, I've got to let you flourish. I've got to let you grow. No, no, don't. don't. You can correct me. Just because I'm your boss, it doesn't, you know. But, yeah, but you're new as a boss, and I want you to flourish. I want you to grow. I want you to find your... Footing. Well, I, I appreciate that. I mean, just because I've been here 10 years longer should not matter. <laughs> should not matter whatsoever that I've been here 10 years longer. No, it, it, it doesn't. I, it no. doesn't at all. No. Okay. I'm just wondering where everybody is for oh. the meeting. Mm -hmm. I don't know. You told me to be here at 7.30. And I did. Yeah, and I brought the donuts like you asked. Yes. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yes, I've got, I went to, to uh, two bakeries. Any cream filled? Yes, I, yes, you said cream filled, so I got I uh, two cream filled. Wow. Yes, and I got You're them. a great boss. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you. I really appreciate a boss that does things that I ask them to do so <laughs> to the letter. Yes, it's, it's you know, that uh, anger management at uh, human resources. Yes. I don't hit employees anymore, and I don't show up. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first two boxes on the checklist. <laughs> Aren't you going to have, have No, I'll wait. Well, for the rest of the people. I yeah. never have the first donut. It's a little policy of mine. Well, I don't have the first donut either. Nor will I have the last. No. No. Yes. I told everyone else to be here at 8. Well, that was, that I was, told you 7.30. I told everyone else to be here at 8. I wanted to be forthcoming. Oh, I appreciate that. I just wanted to see what your mood was before I was well, it's a truthful. Good, it's a good mood. It's a good mood. You're in a good mood. Yes, I am. Wonderful. Yes. Great. Yes. Good. Yeah. Okay. So how are you feeling about this meeting coming up? I'm, I'm excited about this meeting. Really? Yes. Yes. Because uh, I, I love Mondays and I just, I feel. You love Mondays. I love Mondays. 7.30 a.m. on a Monday. Yes. You love it. I know what you tried to do. Uh, you tried to get my goat. Uh, no. No, no, I no know. No goat I know. to be you were a little upset last Friday when I um, reprimanded you in front of the whole... In front of the whole, yes, The staff. whole staff, yes. And uh, I think you're just trying to get back at me. But I'm not going to, I'm not going really, to... Really, I would not try to get back to you on the very next Monday. Yes, I would. 
that what kind of person? I mean, it was pretty late on a Friday when you yelled at me so vehemently in front of everyone. I mean, to put together a meeting like this with everyone on a month, the very next Monday, uh, you think I'm a Bond villain or something. <laughs> This, uh, this half hour before the meeting says is very awkward. I don't usually spend this much time with my employees. I know. Now, if I was a jerky <coughs> boss, an asshole of a boss, I'd probably go back into my office and just sit there and wait for you to call me at 7.58. But uh, I'm such a great human being and great boss that I'm just going to stay here with you. Great. Have a donut. <laughs> I had breakfast, actually. Oh, yes. All right. I just, I, I buy the donuts as a test. As a test? Yes. Are you to testing see me? Yes, I am. <laughs> well, well, well. Yes. Mr. Peters. Yes. Larry? And how am I doing? Oh, uh, so far you What's your evaluation of my performance today? <laughs> <laughs> Larry, uh, your performance is uh, adequate. Adequate? Yes. <laughs> really kind of a middle-of-the-road kind of critique. Yes, it is. Adequate. You know, I, it's very hard for me to make any sort of um, analysis, I guess is the right word, unless someone picks up a donut. <laughs> <laughs> I know, you told me that. There's also muffins over there. And there's blueberry, poppy seed, carrot cake muffin. What are you playing at, Peterson? I'm not playing anything. In 25 minutes, Fourteen people will be here. Yes. I only bought ten baked goods. Mm. <laughs> Do you have balls? <laughs> or do you just wait? I have more than balls. I have brains, Peters. Even though there are fourteen people coming? I know ten baked goods will be plenty. I know that Cynthia is gluten-free. That's all off the table for her. I know Brad is still depressed from his divorce and his sworn-off sweets, which will probably just be for the next two weeks, but definitely for today. That leaves eleven. Ethan... Hates cream filled donuts or anything that's been close to cream filled donuts. Huh. A blueberry muffin? He might go for. No. Oh. Ethan is OCD. Being on the same table as a cream filled donut is close enough for Ethan. You see, I know this staff. Every in and out. 
about each and every one of them. Are you going to stand here and talk, or are you going to take action? I'm not taking action. Well, that's my action. <laughs> Check and mate. Peter. You are like a river. By all means, continue your metaphor. <laughs> you speak like you know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. That's my metaphor. <laughs> I don't have to explain myself because I'm the boss. <laughs> and you are like a limerick. <laughs> are you going to take a baked good or not? No, I'm not. I will never have the first baked good. Donut, muffin, I don't care if there's a scone in there. There is. I don't care if there's a scone in there. I preemptively said, for the record, that I do not care if there is a scone in there. But why would you have said that? Because you want the scone. It's warm. It's got raisins in it with a little nutmeg and cinnamon. It's on the top of the box so it's not smushed down. Same. Eat me, eat me. <laughs> this scone is between you and a promotion. You in oh. a corner office. You an employee of the week. <laughs> brought an energy bar. <laughs> and what's it taste like? It doesn't matter, I'm filled. <laughs> you don't look like you're enjoying it. One does not have to enjoy an energy bar. Oh. It's not a flavor bar, it's an energy bar that comes in flavors. Really gets stuck up in there. It's really like crammed between teeth. You know what'll get your teeth cleaned? Not a scone. A yes. scone does not get your teeth cleaned. Yes, it does. That is what it's not making raisins, it's not mints, it's not fluoride. Is it a fluoride scone, Peters? Do you ever know what the fuck you're talking about, Peters? I don't have to explain myself. I'm the boss and I'm in charge. Now eat the fucking scone or I'm going to fire your ass. You don't have balls. If I eat the scone, I wouldn't have balls. But if I just crumble it, scones are really hard. Steve, <laughs> That was a lot of fun. You, yeah, that was interesting. Like, you suddenly shifting. Uh, into a scene. It was like, great, okay. Well, I thought, what the, f I was like,
then like there was this theme that was at play which was great but five minutes into it I'm like oh fuck maybe I fucked it up maybe we should have stopped but I thought Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. what you initiated something I might as well go with it but I was like a little in my head going did I make the I was going back to five (laughs) minutes before going did I make the right thing going there you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and I really didn't feel like we found it until we found that game of like I for whatever reason, I want him to eat a baked good, and you didn't want to have a baked good, and I just that yeah. was, yeah. to me, that was really fun. That it, was really fun because at the beginning, I also was confused because I'm like, was I the boss or were you the boss? Because there was this, this, yeah. th- there was this like the status, right? You know, it was I? I was low status at the boss, and then it, it well, shifted. There was, yeah, there was clearly this game, mm-hmm. this cat and mouse game happening between the two of us that probably went for a while. But once we found that culminated the, in this collection of donuts and muffins. But and one, but once we found that game, it was yes. just like it was like it was like a roadmap. It was like it was. It, I think we went pretty long. Yeah, I mean for a typical improv nerd episode, but it was it was. was it? Uh, yeah. I, do you know how Mark? Do you know yeah, how long we went? Ten, ten minutes. Wow! Oh, wow! Holy shit! Yeah. If I had just eaten the scone, it would have been under seven. <laughs> <laughs> How did you feel about it? Uh, there was one little point where I got in my head and that was like, okay, there's this opportunity to shift status. Because it's interesting to me, but conflict in improv, it's, it's really hard to make conflict interesting, mm-hmm. I think. It, people naturally go to conflict. Because usually it becomes this like, well, I'm just going to knock down what you say right, kind right. of thing. And... I, leading up to today, I was like, uh, I was thinking about, I, I love doing scenes where people were on the same team, mm-hmm. just because you don't get to see that often enough, right. I think, in improv. But just a simple and, agreement. Yeah, scene. right. And so, at some point, I was thinking, oh, wow, you know, we're not on the same team, and now there's this very specific, a pivotal point to our conflict, which I could easily switch on it, but I was like, no, it seems like this... Conflict is, this is what their dynamic is. This mm-hmm. is their status quo. And so there was a moment, well, should I satisfy this thing? I was like, no, it doesn't seem like that would be satisfying. And I think that was right around the time that you were making me choose Well, because to... you said, you said this is a test or something. Or there was a test about the donuts. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, this guy... You brought up tests. Okay, all right, I brought up tests. And then I'm like, okay, I'm going to follow that because yeah. the donuts aren't the donuts. I mean, we could talk about the donuts, but the donuts are more. The, the donuts, donuts are a yeah. test. And, I, and, and then you, were, you had this great idea of like all the reasons why you don't eat the donuts. I, and your point of view was I don't eat the first donut and I don't eat the last donut, right. which was established right at the beginning. And I'm like, you know, I, I don't know. It seemed, it seemed kind of fun. Yeah, I loved, I loved sparring with you. It yeah. was great. Yeah. I think I probably, I love seeing you get emotional, but I do in life. And, uh, <laughs> but it's good to see it in a scene. And, yeah. and I, I like to get emotional. And, you know, anything you would have done differently? No. Uh, no, I, I, I really enjoyed that all the way through. I did too. I could have gone. For, I could have gone much longer. So um, the other thing was uh, red. You know, I was like, "Fuck it." I, I don't think I was paying attention to the game, or you know, because I was still in the in the interview thing. So when you were like, "What did they give you?" The initials? R yeah, R E P was the first three letters. R E P. Okay. Yeah. So, and you heard D, so you thought red. Yeah. And then I was commenting 
about, right. about me correcting you, and then right. that became the first line of the scene, which right. I wasn't prepared for. Which okay, was great. Yeah, um, all love right. it. So rep. So you were a sales rep, and I was the manager. <laughs> you, you, you didn't say when I had to use this. No, again, not at all. Or justify it. Oh, I felt shame that I didn't. That I. I oh, I'm sorry. I'm not so sorry. No, I didn't do that. no, I. I like being thrown off like that. You know, oh. I do because okay. it's like that's how my brain works. You know, and I don't know. Yeah. Do you get suggestions sometimes, and you're just like. Like I don't have an idea. Uh, no, not not these days. <laughs> Great, not these. I mean, because poetry, like it's all poetry. In what right? way? For people that like one word leads down twenty different paths so for me right R-E-P, away. When you heard REP, what did that mean to you? REP, I think report was the first thing that came to mind. Oh, well, there was a so, report in the scene. Report, You were yeah. reporting to me. Yeah, so Great. it did, uh, didn't am play I, out Am I justified way. it enough? Yeah, okay. and if you had gone red, I was thinking I would probably make an emotional choice. I try to transform things into energy. I try not to so think red, about... So red, what would it have added? I probably would have played embarrassed. Because red-faced? You know, just to kind of, yeah, just kind of like... Be embarrassed, um, and then direct that energy towards you. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I would be embarrassed um, of you or embarrassed with you or what. But that was kind of the first impulse. So tell us a little about how you transform energy. Uh, I need to I need to feel something in my body right away, and then once I do that, I know exactly what to do and say in the scene. But if I think, well, how do I wrap this idea into the scene? Oh, they said uh, accordion. Well, let me reach for an accordion. And now it's about it. Well, why is why do I have an accordion? And I try not to answer things like that. I try not to deal with the stuff that the audience can't see. If I start playing embarrassed, they see that. They see that energy coming out of me. And then you see that, and you get to bounce something that, something off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I bounce yeah. that energy off you. You bounce energy off me. And from that, it's like a radar signal. It kind of gives you, Do you back like information. Do you like to go to the emotion most of the time? Yeah, usually, well, I like going to uh, some sort of point of view. And sometimes that's coupled with emotion. Sometimes it's not. Like arrogance is not an emotion. It's a point of view that could lead to emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's what I like to do. Point of view has an energy to it. Mm-hmm. And that's what I like to bring to the stage. Great. So we're going to, uh, yeah. Mark, if you could t- put the lights up, we're going to uh, uh, take some questions. Hi, guys. Great. Hi, so uh, just put your hand up if you've got a question. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, yeah. great. Right here. What's been the most challenging show uh, you've put on and why? Most challenging show you put on and why? Um, we did a show here called The Suitcase. Yeah, we won a B. Iden Payne Award for that. Um, what is that? What kind of award? It's the Tonys of Austin. Okay. <laughs> yeah, um, and uh, we did it in this theater, and the idea was it was inspired by this show in New York called Sleep No More where the performance took place throughout an entire building and you kind of just kind of wandered through the building. Right, and there's only, not a lot of people go through, through, right? It's like an apartment, right? 
different. Well, that one it's a it's like a 1930s hotel, and okay. you kind of walk through, and they're actors, and it follows the plot of of Macbeth. Uh, we set up four different spaces here, and the audience got introduced to these characters, and then the characters split up to the four different spaces, and the audience based on what playing card they got when they were when they came in, what suit the playing card was, they would follow two of those characters and they would watch an improv scene. And then there would be a shuffle of the characters and audience would move to the next location. They would watch one of the people that they just watched match with someone else. And that other person has no idea what happened in that previous improv scene and vice versa. And then it would all come together uh, on the stage and then they would split up again into a third location. So there was a lot of... My favorite part of that show was... In the part where all the characters came back together and all the audience came back together in the theater, there would be this thing that happened on stage that exactly one-fourth of the audience would laugh at. <laughs> because only one-fourth of the audience had the information that you need to know to find that funny. Mm -hmm. And that was the thing about it. But there was this logistical thing of, like, how do you make this happen? How do you... So you were happy with only one fourth of the audience. No, no, I was thrilled. Okay. I was thrilled all the way through the show because that kept happening. Where and then a different fourth of the audience would suddenly laugh at something. I'm shooting for the whole audience to laugh. I don't care. Are you serious? You don't care if you get laughs? No. Well, here's the thing. In that show, I didn't care. I loved that exactly a quarter of the audience laughed. What about at what one we thing. just did in, t in terms of improv? Were you? Yeah, I mean it's. It's great. Yeah, I love the response. I love the feedback uh, from the audience. It, it tells me, okay, that thing that you're doing, go farther with that. So you, so, li you listen to the audience. So if the audi Yeah, yeah. Okay. I can hear them. Sure. So, so if, they're, if they're laughing or something, th that's giving you a signal to like, okay, I'm just going to Yeah, keep, but I'm I mean also, I also recognize when there are those really intense moments and you can't hear a single thing. And that's really good, too. I really love those tense moments. We've had a lot of those. We do improvise mammoth every once in a while. Uh, it's group confidence men that I started. And we get a lot of those intense moments or gasps. I've gotten gasps with that show. So you're fine with intense moments, laughs, and gasps. Yeah, all okay. the responses are good. Okay. They're right. paying attention. They're, they're paying attention to what you're doing. They're hanging on it. That's great. All right, let's take another question. Yay. Here we go. Oh, we got yeah. a lot now. Right here. Um, so are you happy with uh, where Austin Improv has come um, over the years? And what do you what do you anticipate in the future? What do I anticipate for the future of Austin Improv? I, I'm really happy. It's, it's really interesting right now. Everything has grown so steadily since I moved here. So I moved here in 2007. When I moved here, um, Cold Town Theater had just opened. So the second improv space had just opened. I mean, not including SVT. I don't know whether I never know whether to include that as an official improv space or just a place that there was a run of shows. I never know. But now we've got five schools, four theaters. The fifth school is talking about opening up a theater, and it's gotten huge. And um, sometimes I worry a little too huge. Like there's certain things. Coltown would have a new Herald troupe. And everybody in the community would go to the first show. Everybody. And then now, I don't even know half the people that come out of there. I don't even know who's there, what teams, what's, what's the good show to see over there. I haven't been over there in so long because I've been so busy with stuff here. 
and vice versa. We don't cross paths, and I don't get to play with some of those guys as often as I used to. So I kind of miss that while also recognizing, I mean, this is kind of awesome. I love improv, and the more people that do it, wonderful. I think improv is one of, such a huge beneficial thing to do. As far as what's next, I don't know. Sixth theater? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I mean, everyone's waiting for when people start paying attention and start casting someone from here. What about the five, uh, what is it, the five uh, groups? Five, five, five families. families. Which are the five schools. Yeah, here. Merlin Works, Cult Town, New Movement, Institution, Hideout. What was the question there? Well, I mean, that's something that you and Tom have definitely embraced and pulled oh, yeah. into. Um, yeah, we're having a big anniversary next show, and all the five families are performing. And the anniversary is to celebrate what? The fourth. <laughs> well, how much time do we have? Um, it's the fourth anniversary for the theater space, according to when we remembered to start recording when we were in this space. Okay. So it's not actually four years of being in this space, just four years of better record keeping. <laughs> You know what's interesting? You know what's interesting? What? In New York, you you know you tried to like, you know like get mm -hmm. everybody to get along. UCB magnet, people, yeah. stuff like that. But really, you come down here and you've shared that wisdom and that experience mm -hmm. in Austin. Okay. <laughs> I'm not I'm not sure which one. Well, you it sounds like you were banging your head trying to get the three theaters to come together. Yeah. And then. And here it's already done, and we still get together a lot. There's a big potluck we do every November, and uh, there's parties that I, you know that we do as a community and things like that. How is that good for the work that everybody gets along down here? You can either choose to compete with each other, or you can choose to be inspired by each other, and I think this community, for the most part, has chosen to be inspired by each other. Now, how does that work? Um, you do your show, Yeah. they get inspired by that? How, how does it work? Well, I know when I go see uh, a show at one of the other theaters, like at the Hideout, and I see some ideas played out, and it makes me think of other ideas, and then those ideas become shows that I create here. And I think vice versa. Or uh, we would get together and we kind of trade games. Like, what kind of games are you doing? What kind of warm-ups? You know, we have Facebook groups where we kind of exchange ideas. We keep an eye out for each other. You know, um, like, watch out for this guy if he shows up in one of your classes. You know, stuff like that. <laughs> Things like that. Because, or or if, I, if there's someone who comes my way and like, I'm, I'm getting a strange read on this. I know there are resources as far as the other theaters are more than willing to talk with me about that. Or if we need anything, if we need help with anything. Um, you know, we've helped, we've helped each other build each other's theaters, clean each other's theaters, repair each other's theaters. You know, um, all of that stuff. So it's this endless resource that's around you. The best resource you can have. Great. Support. We're going to take another question. 
Yeah. Yeah, right here. Yeah. So, uh, hi, um, hi, Brian. What's up, buddy? Uh, hey. One of the things that I really like about your teaching and about your improv perspective is that you are less attached to rules than just about anybody else I've ever, anybody else I ever learned from, right? Yeah. Um, and I guess what I'm asking, <laughs> I want you to explain and justify that to me. I really like it. But I want to hear your thoughts on that and on why, uh, like, why that's a good thing and where that came from and things like that. Arrogance. Um, <laughs> I mean, to a certain degree, it's like, like I said, I like breaking things apart and putting it back together. When I was a kid, this is one of the things I think about now. Uh, when I was a kid, like about 12 years old or 11 years old, and we went to Disney World, um, I really enjoyed Disney World, but what I enjoyed more was coming home and starting to sketch out plans for my own theme park. Um, I was going to create animatronic monsters and put them in my backyard. I have no idea how to make animatronics, but I had these character ideas, and I knew it, uh, I should get chicken wire. Uh, or something like that. That's all I knew. Chicken wire and latex. It's like, you know, I build this with chicken wire and latex. I'm 11 years old. I don't know. Um, because... Because it was, I wasn't at the point yet to think, well, how do you make this happen? It's like all I knew was I have these ideas that I wanted to express, so let's start there. And I think that's what it should be like for all of us when we get out on stage. It's like what's motivating you? What's compelling to you? And then figure out how it's going to work. The rules come later. The rules are there to serve you. You're not supposed to be there to serve the rules. So, um and for every rule that exists, there's such wonderful art that breaks that rule. You know, after Tarantino did Pulp Fiction, everyone thought, well, oh, wow, you could just totally collapse the timeline in this way and that way. And then everybody started doing it, you know, because they needed to see it done first. And then it's like, well, is that an exception to the rule or was that rule unnecessary or is there actually a newer, bigger, better rule that serves us? So for me, it's what's the inspiration first, then figure out the parameters for it. Great. Another question? Right over here. Um, did, uh, was Yes and kind of a success or a failure? <laughs> for people that know, no, tell us uh, about Yes and .com. So, yeah. So in May of 99, I started a website called yesand.com. I got in quick, bought that URL. Several people have tried to buy it from me since. How much have they offered you? What's the highest? $5,000. Are you serious? Isn't that bullshit? <laughs> how, much would, how much would you sell it for? No less than $25,000. Okay. You've heard it here. <laughs> no less than $25,000. Okay. I still get traffic even though I don't do shit okay. for that website anymore. So um, I was at a stage where it's like, okay, I've kind of, I was doing freestyle rap at that time. And actually, I got fired from Freestyle Rap. What'd you get fired for? We all got fired. Okay. Everybody. That's a long story. It was the first article on our website. Um, but I kind of hit the ceiling, and I wanted to find out more about the improv that was going on in the world, in the country, whatever. And the only thing that existed at that time was alt.comedy.improvisation, alt a news group, which I could never understand how to get access to. I bought that URL for $50. Really? <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Good investment. Thanks. Uh, that's, solid. What they told, that's what they told me when I bought it. Um, 
So I created this website and um, I commissioned people to write an article for me. It was the same month that Del Close passed away and I approached Matt Besser and he wrote a nice little piece to go on the homepage for that. Um, and uh, we had forums and all these people from around the world started talking improv. And so it was really successful. And then as the internet grew the way it did, everything that we were doing on the website, people were kind of doing on their own everywhere. So now every city has its own forum message board. Every, they have you know Facebook feeds with reports on festivals and pictures and all that stuff. And so we kind of came obsolete and I was trying to figure out, well, what should we be doing instead? And I never figured it out. Uh, but I still have the URL and I'm still waiting for the inspiration of like, well, what can it do? How can it serve? I, I, I remember I contacted you when you first did it and I feel shame about saying this. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, uh, how much do you pay? And you're like, well, we don't pay. And I'm like, what? You know? And I was like, I didn't know anything about internet or any of that stuff. But uh -huh. I'm like, they're not going to pay me to write? You know? <laughs> I was crazy. I don't remember this conversation. I'm glad you don't. I'm glad you don't. You're I, not, but you're not, I, I remember having that conversation with a few people and I right. totally understand that. I right. Mean, yes. Okay. We've cleared that up. Yeah. Okay. All right. Did you want to hug it out or something? No, I, th I think we, we, I, I okay. think we, do you think we've, I, you know, no, I was me who was holding on I to it. Yeah. Okay, so it's up so to it's you. If you don't want to hug, that's fine. No, I just, I owe you an immense. I just want to give you an immense oh. for, for that. Cause I was holding on to like, you know, what do you mean he's not? What do I, do I say thank you? What do I do when the amends happens or do I just, hmm? What do I do? Whatever, whatever you want to do. Okay. All right. So I was, all right. Um, we'll go to the next question. We got one more question. We got time for one more question. One more question. Uh, Tom Booker. You had a question. No, Tom always. Yeah. Okay. Well, Matt, and then maybe. Okay. Maybe we'll do we that have one time. At a time. Maybe. Okay. I was just going to ask, uh, what's the best part about running a theater, and what's the toughest part? Of best part of running this theater, and then the worst part of running the theater. Best part of running the theater is the opportunity to come up with stupid, crazy ideas and then put them up regularly. Worst part. Worst part of running a theater. Ugh. The fact that somebody stole one of our boxes. Yeah, I was thinking that as well. All the stupid kids yelling in the back. Um, I think the worst. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just ask where the Tom just referred to the stupid kids yelling in the back? Where are they from? They're batting cages, and we shared this warehouse well, with three other businesses. One of them runs these batting cages. It's like an amusement district. Isn't yeah. It? Why, yeah. <laughs> where, why are they playing baseball at this hour? Uh, I don't know. It's nine thirty. Nine thirty. Yes. On a here. Friday night. Yes. We're gonna have a big New Year's Eve party yeah. at our new space. I think there's a lot of minutia that goes into that kind of every little thing is not a problem, but there's such a deluge of it sometimes that it becomes overwhelming. You said to me the marketing thing you hoped your official title is education director and marketing director. Right. What is it about the marketing that you there's just so many shows that we're doing <coughs> so many things and I hate dealing with social media platforms. It's like I hate putting the thing, sending the press releases out and putting this thing on the Facebook and the events and the figuring out Twitter and all that. I can't stand it. I can't. It's too much. I don't have the bandwidth for that, that many little things that's involved in just marketing one show, much less all of them. 
Okay, we're going to take one last question from Tom Booker. We have to. Here it's we his go. theater. Yes. He owns the place. Um, yes, Tom. Uh, I, I want to ask two questions. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Why doesn't that surprise uh, me? No. The first one's a little jokey. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, what's your favorite thing about Tom Booker? Okay, what is your favorite? Hold on to this one. Hold on. To, what is your favorite thing? Your least favorite thing about them. Okay. Okay, great. And then that we'll get three you. questions. Okay. No, no, we got this. See we'll how he does that? I know. Let's get the let's get the jokey well, one out. We'll get the we'll get the jokey one out first. What's the what's the best thing you like about? Tom what's the Booker? thing I like best about Tom Booker? He genuinely wants everyone around him to succeed as much as possible, and I've been, I've I've gotten the benefit of that. I fucking run a school. Mm-hmm. It's not something that w- would have happened. Uh, like I'm, I'm a go-getter, and I, I'm determined to make stuff happen. But I don't think I would have made a school happen on my own. Worst thing about Tom Booker? Bits. <laughs> Specifically, the last third of any bit, because that's the part of the bit that he's doing. Because I clearly want him to stop doing it. <laughs> Where I've been as, as blatant and blunt about, let's please stop the bit. And he still goes that little bit more. Your serious question, Tom. Um, why are you the most, the, why are you so passionate about improv? What makes it? What, what makes you so about? passionate about improv? Serious question. Serious question. What makes me so passionate about improv? Um, ooh. <laughs> We're putting a spotlight on you. <laughs> Mark, could you... A different color, maybe? Like a reddish? <laughs> or rep? Repish? <laughs> Now, um, that's a little of the arrogance coming out. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a callback. I know. Uh, arrogance for the sake of a callback yes, is okay, yes, okay, right? Okay. Um, <laughs> all right, you know, that, that that's not working. Bring all the lights up. I really appreciate that. Why am I passionate about improv? Yeah. I, Thanks, Mark. Uh, I spent a good part of my formative years by myself. Latchkey kid, seated in front of the TV, making my own comic books. No real close friends. I had acquaintances up through college. I had acquaintances. No real close friends that hung out with regularly. Uh, Father living in another country. Sister with her own social life and all that stuff. Uh, Mother who was working as much as she could and needed to. And so when she would come home, not always in the best mood. So I kind of kept to myself. And the creativity was the me that needed to come out. And um, when I found improv, I found acceptance of all those ideas, like right away. It's all about immediate acceptance. And I was starting to connect to people in a way that I'd never had a chance to connect to them before. And so for me, I'm passionate about improv because it allowed me to do that and I've seen it allow other people to do that and more for themselves. It's us bringing out our truest voice, I think, when we let all the rules and shit get out of the way. 
Now, people say that. They throw that out. Improv, it helps me find my true voice. Yeah. How does it really help people find their true voice? Um, people often tr do improv trying to be funny. And I say, um, listen, funny comes from surprise. And I think the best funny comes from when you surprise yourself. And to have those ideas that you never thought you would ever say or anything like that suddenly come out, I think that's when the true voice happens and then we all get to laugh together in that moment, including the person who just said that, blurted that, made that choice, whatever it is. So I think that's what it is. It's because all of this is just, you know, air and words. I mean, that's what it is. And we get to shape it any way we want. That's the most brilliant thing about improv and the scariest thing about improv. Literally anything can happen that you want to see happen, right? Uh, you just have to pick one and go with it. So I think that's why the truth was. We got to wrap this up. We yes. end the podcast, as you know, the yeah. same way every yes. time. I what, studied up on many of your podcasts. I know, and I appreciate that. that. I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. What is one thing you would tell somebody starting out at improv today? Uh, celebrate it. Celebrate every single moment of it. Every time your foot gets to be on a stage, every time you get to play with someone, celebrate it. Don't just do it. Don't just kind of step out there and fumble around and try, wait for things to happen. No. Celebrate the way your foot fell, the way that sound came out of your mouth, the way that person crossed from you standing. Just celebrate every moment. Celebrate every opportunity that you get to play with people, that you get to learn from people, that you get to do anything, and then just keep celebrating. Asaf, thank you so much. Ronan. Asaf Ronan, did I get the name right? Yes. Oh, I, I was so worried that I, I was been practicing. Uh, you asked me earlier what my, my, my agenda was just to get your name right. All right. Okay. okay. What were you, you didn't bat a thousand. Uh, I didn't? No. Okay. Listen to the beginning of this tape. Uh, <laughs> well, thank you for waiting to correct me. <laughs> And I'm sure that's happened a lot in your life, right? Oh, yeah. And there you have it. Another episode of Improv Nerd is in the can. I want to thank our guest, Asaf Ronan, and I hope I got that right. I love when he talks about being arrogant and being so honest about not taking my classes and the UCB classes. Uh, I just, I love that part. Again, I'd like to thank Tom Booker and the Institution Theater in Austin, Texas, for having me down. And a special thanks to Michael Furstenfeld uh, for doing all the audio down there in Austin, Texas. And uh, not only is he a great audio engineer, uh, I believe he took some pictures, too. And he also does a killer Ira Glass from This American Life impersonation. And uh, I just love talking radio and public radio with, with Michael. Uh, also, I'd like to thank my producer here in Chicago for putting this episode together, Dan Schiffmacher. He's the one who makes me sound so slick and so professional. If it wasn't for Dan, you would not be hearing my voice right now. Uh, also, if you want to know more information about me, Jimmy Corain, and my award-winning improv workshops and classes, The Artist Low Comedy here in Chicago, or you want me to come to your uh, theater or festival, uh, just go to my website, jimmycorain.com. You can also sign up for my Improv Nerd blog. Each week I will send you a blog that will make you a better improviser and a better person. Well, the better person is up to you, uh, but the better improv thing, I think, will happen if you read the... the uh, 
the, the blog. Also, uh, follow us on social media. Go to our Improv Nerd fan Facebook page and like us because it really helps with my low self-esteem. Also, follow us on Twitter at Improv underscore Nerd and go to our wonderful YouTube channel. It's uh, Improv Nerd Podcast, all one word. we got great clips from the live shows. Uh, we are lucky enough to be part of feralaudio.com. It is a podcast collective. It's a cornucopia of some of the best podcasters out there. People like Chelsea Peretti and Todd Berry and Dan Harmon and Steve Agee. The names go on and on. Jimmy Corain, I just threw that in there because what the hell? It's all about self-promotion, isn't it? So go to feralaudio.com to check that out. And, of course, I want to thank our sponsor today, McNapier's great new book, which is called Behind the Scenes, Improvising Long Form. And you can get it at the Annoyance Theater in Chicago or on Amazon.com. Also, the Houston Improv Festival. Submissions are now open until January 31st. It's only $25. Go to HoustonImprovFestival.com slash submissions to submit. And, of course, I can't forget you without you... This thing would just be a waste of my time. Thank you for listening. And until next time, remember, walk, don't run. Let's say uh, Seinfeld was on an island and he was blowing Boris Karloff. What would would that be like? (laughs) It might go something like this. Oh, Mr. Karloff, I loved you and Frankenstein, and I love giving you a blowjob. Why, Mr. Seinfeld, I'd love having you fuck.